In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. I hope everybody's day is going beautiful. I hope you have something to look forward to, someone to love, and something to do. We are here with the one and only Jason Sheffield, who's got his own podcast, Telling Secrets. He's got his own website. He's got his own company, Experience Integration. All that will be in the show notes. I would invite everyone to go down and take a look at what Jason's doing. He's doing some really interesting things that are unique in this space. He's got an incredible outlook on life, and it's a very unique one. So I'm I'm excited you're here today, Jason. How are you? Oh man, George, I'm well. So good to see you, man. Yeah, it's been a while, man. It has. I feel like it's been uh, since we stopped the roundtables about six months ago. It seems like it's been uh, a, a new year. You're blowing up, post- doing podcasts all the time, yeah. putting out a lot of contact, talking to so many interesting people, man. Like I'm, oh yeah, I have questions that I, I'm like, I almost want to interview you today. Be like, tell me what you've been learning because you've been talking to some really fascinating people. Man, it it's been a whirlwind, and I, you know what it's like for me. I feel like I am sitting down with a master every day mm. and just being a student and listening to people's dreams and their ideas and their strategies to create their dreams. And some of those dreams. I get to drift in that circle a little bit and it's, mm. man, I get goosebumps thinking about it. It's, it's been amazing. The, the, mm. the amount of what I've learning. And it seems to me that I've, I've been given this unique perch to get to see people's dreams unfold in this space. And as a, you know, it, as the space unfolds, I'm getting to see them play a position. It's almost like a psychedelic trip in a way. Mm. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I feel like, and, and things here in Colorado have shifted so significantly over the last six months. It's wild what's been going on. And like, I've definitely gotten a lot more plugged in in our town with a, a psychedelic professional meetup group that's like going strong. And it's been crazy just to see how things are unfolding right now. And it's it really is the Wild West. I mean, Governor Polis just signed Prop 122 into law. So it is now like in the that like we can grow, 
we can gift, we can guide, you know, of course there's all the things around the healing centers, but it is a, a new time in Colorado and it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Man, I, it's a brave new world. I can't wait to get into all of it. But before you and I just start geeking out on yes. everything that's happening and like going down these crazy rabbit holes, there's probably some people that are tuning in for the first time. And I was hopeful that you could maybe build a bit of a foundation of, of what, you know, somewhat of an origin story of like what you have going on. I know you got a few irons in the fire, but maybe you can just start somewhere at the beginning and fill people in with what you got. And then we can move yeah. forward to, to where it's going. Great, great. Yeah. So what, what is going on, man, is my main thing is working with men and coaching them around their relationships, around their careers, around their own uh, understanding of their masculinity and using psilocybin as a tool for that journey. Um, and so I've definitely have over the last six months have begun working more publicly with men, which has been great, right? As the laws shifted in Colorado, yeah. I can actually start talking about this stuff and not feeling like it has to be that underground uh, thing and really leaning into to doing this work and uh, and doing it kind of in, in the way that it, I feel like I've learned the things that have been gifted to me, um, which is going to be different than how other people might serve medicine or maybe a more therapeutic approach that someone might uh, go through is, you know, not not necessarily my stream. And it's been really good to kind of find those boundaries of like, how do we work with the medicine and trusting that your medicine is going to be the right medicine for those that are going to come to you. Uh, and so for me, again, that's a, a lot of coaching around masculinity, helping men really dive into what does it mean to be a man? How are they showing up? How are they showing up in their relationships? How are they showing up in their lives? And I've had such a beautiful gift of watching men go through transformation in front of my eyes. Uh, it is one of the coolest things. Um, yeah, it's such a gift just to to hold space and to watch somebody go through the process as they um, kind of go through the protocols and the systems that I've I've kind of built, um, and it's it's transforming, and I'm just as transformed, which mm -hmm. is the gift. Is how uh, it really challenges you. It really challenges you to show up. It challenges you to make sure that you're doing your own work. And so, um, yeah, I guess that's a little bit of the context for for me. I, um, so yeah, largely in practicing as a coach and that format, which I think is different than like a therapist, um, really seeing some of those edges of as a coach, like I'm going to tell you what I think, um, often a therapist won't, they're going to have you go through that process. And I always joke with my guys. I'm like, look, you're going to get what my thing is, what I believe. And then you get to decide for yourself if that feels right. But I'm here to be a truth teller. I'm here to, to speak that into, existence of what I see. And then you get to decide what you want to do with that truth. Um, and that's such a, a beautiful place to sit. It is. And it's so refreshing for me to hear in so many ways. It's, and when I spoke about your methodology being unique for everybody listening and people that are in the psychedelic space, there seems to be a real connection to the feminine that has begun to emerge in this world. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And I love it. For a long time, men in this space have been trying to find their way. You know, if you look back to like the archaic type of it, you know, we often think of 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 men in a certain aspect. But over the years, it seems like men have kind of lost their way. And I think that you specifically with like a male energy coming into this 
space and helping other men find their way. That's mm -hmm. different than the majority of people I'm talking about. You have a men's group where you focus on masculinity yeah. in a way that is congruent with femininity and in a way that's congruent with becoming the best version of themselves. Maybe you could talk about like what inspired that. Mm, yeah, man. So there's a, there's a lot of work that I've been doing in my life around understanding my own masculinity and what it means to be a man. But something, uh, maybe I'll kind of see if this resonates and kind of how I'm structuring things and what I'm inviting men to. As we think about the masculine, often we the masculine has been so deeply connected to the patriarchy, mm. right? And we think about the patriarchal masculine. And the way I really, I look at the understanding of patriarchy is that at, at the end of the day, patriarchy will always limit its expression. Patriarchy will always try to come down to uh, a limited way that it's going to express itself. So that's going to happen through power. That's going to happen through control. But whatever it is, unhealthy patriarchy will always be, the, its function is to limit. And so when we look at the masculine, the masculine expression has been so deeply limited by its own patriarchy. So what it means to be a man is like falls into like three categories, really, right? If we think about like as men, again, traditional societal patriarchy male, what does it mean to be a man can be, you know, you could to wear three colors, right? Brown, black, blue, green, maybe like you, we only get to wear two types of pants. Think about this. As men in the patriarchy, we can only wear long pants, or short pants. That's it. Like you don't get any other options. You put a dress on, you're seen feminine. Like that's it. Like we're limited. We get like three types of shirts that we get to wear, right? Like so the idea of what it means to be a man under this patriarchal expression has been so limited. And and then I kind of the next step of that is okay, great. Well, let's think about when we think about the the stories behind the patriarchy, power, God, right? We often associate that to sky God. We think about the masculine as being the sun, right? And the sun is very limited in its expression. I mean, the sun does one fucking thing. It rises up, <laughs> it shoots its light at us, and it sets. That is, And again, is that masculine? Sure. But is that a very limited view of what it means to be masculine? Absolutely. And I believe for far too long, we've associated these ideas of what it means to be the man as we tie it to these patriarchal structures that are defined by the sun. They're defined by sky God, which from my perspective, the idea of that ethereal being out there and attaching our masculinity is actually the most feminine thing that we could do. It's upside down. It's flipped on us because the masculine at its root is actually deeply grounded in the earth. And we need to start reviving earth God and, and father earth. Now, is the earth still feminine? Of course. It's always a both and. It's always a both and. But for far too long, the stories we've been telling is that, you know, the masculine is in the sky and the feminine is in the earth. And we've got to flip the, our, our head around on that and start to see that the earth is deeply masculine. In fact, our friends, the mushrooms, are the most masculine <laughs> fucking thing that's out there. And this is why I love working with psilocybin and working with mushrooms, with men's work, because we look at the mycelium network and what does it do? It builds structure. It builds connection. It's the most masculine thing. It, it, it allows for so much creation to take place, but it binds and connects our entire world. It allows the trees to do what they do. I was, I was reading this great story about how when the mushrooms shoot their spores out, they literally, tons of them, like millions and millions of pounds of spores will be sent up into the sky. 
the the clouds and the dew will get connected to those spores. They'll turn into clouds. It'll be in the rain and they replant themselves back into the earth. But all because of their, like rain happens because of the spores. Credible, right? When we think about the mycelium network and what it does. And also masculine as fuck, right? What do we do? We fucking get hard. We show up. We shoot our stuff into the world and we let the world deal with it and we move on. That is what it, again, that's crass, but it's this beautiful picture that I believe that as men, we got to get regrounded. We got to get back into this fucking earth and realize like our masculinity is found in the earth. It's found in the mycelium network. It's found in like, when we think about what we do, we hold the container for the creation to take place. We hold the container for the feminine to come in and do its thing and create and build and nurture. And it's the symbiotic relationship that, you know, and the hermetic tradition, you know, it says like all things are male and female. All things hold this, yet it's also polarity, but it's the same. And we got to start reviving that. So anyways, that's a little bit of my rant. I'm curious, what does that spark in you or what does that resonate with? It makes me excited to hear that. Like it's a whole angle that you never hear. The It does seem that a lot of the mythology that is in place right now is this idea of Mother Earth giving birth to things. Mm-hmm. But shoot, man, you, you look at a mushroom. It kind of looks like a giant dick. You know what I mean? 100%. Like. <laughs> and it does. It, it's, shooting, it's, it's shooting its load into the sky and it is just – it's just exploding into the earth and it's a, it's a beautiful way to look at it. It makes me think about the duality. You know, it makes me think like the hermetic tradition, like Mm. there is male and female in all things. And we both have those energies. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's a big part of the divide that's been happening between male and female is like, we've been at odds with each other and maybe, maybe it's been part of the structure. Maybe it was necessary. Maybe it's a cycle. But I do see this whole reemergence of one organism, you know, sort of that yin and yang with that dot in the paisley moving around in a circle. And I, I see that the cycle we're in. And I, I do think that the idea of masculinity is changing and it's changing for the better. So when I hear that rant, it, it gives me a really good feeling inside about, hey, we're starting to move into a direction that's positive for everybody. We're starting to see a a form of protection that's not toxic and it's not mm. containing people to hold them down. It's more protecting people so they can be the best person they can be. How do you, how do you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's actually the thing that the masculine needs to begin to like, if men we're going to start showing up and bring healing to this world and bringing healing to the feminine and, and really start to see those shifts. Again, it starts with each man understanding what it means to be a man. Right. Right. And so, and, and then that protection and those things that are deeply masculine. Now that does, none of this ever means that the, the feminine isn't protective, right? right. Mama bear is the most fucking protective thing <laughs> that's in this world and will destroy any man that gets in her way. So that's the first thing that we got to get out of is the understanding of like either or, right? It's right. either this or it's that. That's always going to fuck us over and our understanding of what it means to be masculine and feminine. So we first got to get over that. If we can get over that and we start understanding like how we work together and and again, uh, how we hold both. One of the, the kind of other pieces that I've been working with is helping people understand that, and again, your body is masculine in nature because it is the container that holds your emotions 
It is the container that holds your spirit. And so if we want to sometimes associate like the, the emotions are feminine, which I believe emotions are just human, right? We all have emotions, but emotions carry feminine energy in the sense that they can be fleeting. They're not always grounded. Again, the feminine is way more connected to the sky. The feminine shows up in a storm, right? The feminine just fucking comes in. It rages. It storms. It gives you the life nourishing things that you need. Like the sky is deeply feminine. And so when we look to it that way, we can look at it and realize I have to be very safe in my own body. I have to understand my body. I have to be connected to my body and the masculine. So that's the first step. And when that is, when we work with that, we open up the container to hold the emotions and the feminine inside. And that's the relationship that I create for myself first and foremost for me is that, okay, where am I at in my body? How am I understanding my body? How am I connected to my body? Because that's the masculine. I need that. I need the structure. I need a container because otherwise it's all over the place and it's not grounded and it doesn't do anything. It can't create because it's just unleashed. So when we bring in the, the structure and the boundaries of my body, then my emotions, okay, I can begin to work with that. What am I feeling? Where am I feeling that? Where am I body? And now I can become a far more regulated human being because I'm letting the balance of my masculine and feminine, not a percentage of like one is more than another. It's both. And I'm letting them be in relationship with each other. I'm letting my relationship with my emotions and my body be in existence. And when we can do that, man, it's beautiful. But the feminine has, in my opinion, gotten so deep into their masculine because the masculine hasn't created a safe place and safe energy that then they're coming at it from a perspective of how to do this stuff through the masculine. And it's really damaging to the feminine. And the feminine is longing for this. And the only reason I feel like I can say that with confidence is because this is what my partner tells me as the feminine, as the representative of you know, saying like, yes, this is the thing that we're looking for in the relationship. And again, not about gendered like relationships. I think there's dynamics that are at play here and how this comes out. But anyways, yeah, it's been really fascinating to see like, that's what we do as men. We're protective. We can only do that once we first understand how to first and foremost, give it to ourselves and then we can give it to others. Man, it is really well said. And it, it seems so fractal to me in that if you can make sense of the relationship you have with yourself in your body and your heart or in your mind and the, come to grips with, Hey, I'm feminine in this part and I'm masculine in this part. Mm -hmm. It seems once you figure that out, then you can have a relationship with a woman who's on the same level. Mm -hmm. Like you have to build that relationship in yourself before you can have that relationship with somebody else. And absolutely, you know, and, and, and if you can speak to being a father, like the masculine is imperative to have a daughter, right? Like mm. you have to be a strong container. You have to have that protective energy to build space for your daughter to grow and understand boundaries mm. and understand what is expected of a man. Cause it seems to me the first man that a woman ever falls in love with is her dad. Right. And mm. if we, if we have a problem with masculine energy, then we're setting up our young girls to fail in a way. What, is that true? What do you think about that? I mean, I'm figuring it out, man. I got a six-year-old. I'm trying to like, I, I don't know. It's a very long experiment before right. I'm going to be able to say that what <laughs> I'm doing is working. But let me let me share a story. Please. Uh, and it's, it's something that happened the other week. Um, and it's not one that I'm necessarily proud of, but it's real. So my, so I have three kids, um, four between Tiffany and I, and, um, my middle is just in that phase of life where he's pretty like contentious. 
And mm. he just is um, very much challenging, right? So he's nine years old and he just loves a challenge. And so a couple, couple weeks ago, we were coming home from school, right? We're right at the end of the school year. We're almost to where we're like no homework and we're almost yeah. there, right? Just right on that cusp. And I was planning on having a cool night together. We were going to like watch the the basketball game. It was coming on a little bit later. So I was like, hey, let's get our chores done. Let's get our homework done. And then we can just kind of hang out, watch the game, have some time together. So that's kind of my intention for the evening. My middle son, uh, we get home and I'm like, hey, first thing you got to do, bud, is your laundry. Like you got to take care of the laundry. I've already washed it for you. I've taken care of it. I put it in your room. You got to fold it and put it away. That's all you got to do. About five minutes, 10 minutes go by. I check in on him and he's like, dad, I'm not doing my laundry. I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I already have clean clothes in my drawers. Like, I don't need these. Well, that gets me real frustrated. I'm like, right, what do you mean right. you don't need your clothes, son? Like, so I, I get a little upset. I get a little angry at him. And I'm like, okay, great. Well, if you don't need these clothes, then I'm just going to throw them away. Which <laughs> parents, like the most right. hyperbolic thing you can say, totally. never, it's really great. But I was like so frustrated, right? So I went and like grabbed the clothes and I threw them in my bedroom. And my daughter is watching me get angry at my mm. son. And she starts to cry. And she's like, daddy, don't throw away his clothes. And she like tries to like intervene. And she's now upset. And so I'm like, girl, he's just being kind of a pain right now. Like, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. So then I go back into his room. I'm like, he's still not doing anything. I was like, dude, like, go take care of your homework right now. Like, that is what you need to do. And so he's like kind of walking out of the room. He's going down the stairs. And he just turns around and looks at me. And he goes, I'm not doing my homework. And at this point, like I'm like level nine mad. Like if you remember like the the freaking uh, kids Pixar show about their like, or whatever it was, the emotions, right? Right. The anger guy in my head is this fucking like rage taken over. <laughs> Next to me is a laundry basket and I pick it up and I throw it against the ground because I'm just so upset. And as it goes against the ground, it might have bounced in his general direction. <laughs> Did not hit him. But it, I was pissed. And in doing that, my bracelet uh, that I was wearing flew off and it broke. So then I'm mad my bracelet breaks. So I pick it up again and I throw it down to the ground. And I go, son, you will go and do your homework right now. Like total dad, like do right. not fuck with me voice, right? Yeah. So and then I'm like, oh, shit, I did not handle that well, right? <laughs> so like he goes down. I walk into my room. I'm like, fuck, okay. Uh, yeah, that wasn't right. That like, I totally lost my shit. How are we going to handle this? My daughter's crying. She's like, daddy, you shouldn't be that mad at him. And so Gord, at this point of the story, people that might be listening, like, wow, he's a horrible father. <laughs> so I look at my daughter and I hold her and I'm like, girl, I'm so sorry. Like I, I was really angry. He made like Jonas made me angry. I let that anger come out. I shouldn't have let that anger come out. I apologize and I'm sorry that I, will you forgive me for doing that? So instantly like ask for her. She's like, yes, daddy. I'm like, okay, go to my other son, my oldest. And I'm like, bud, I'm sorry. Like I got frustrated. I flew off the handle. I shouldn't have handled it that way. And he kind of looked at me like, yeah, he deserved it. Like, of course, older brother. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, like, yeah. His response is like, dad, he wasn't doing his laundry. I'm like, I know, but that doesn't give me the permission to get angry like that. So then I was like, all right, I got to go talk to, talk to my middle. So I go downstairs. He's doing his homework, which was good because otherwise, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but he's doing his homework. And I sit down at the table. And I said, bud, you've made me very angry this afternoon. I'm very frustrated with you. 
because I laid out my expectations. I laid out what we were looking to get done. And, um, and you just straight up disobeyed. And that really frustrated me. That said, I shouldn't have thrown the basket. So will you forgive me for throwing the basket? And it was very intentional on that because I was not asking for forgiveness for getting angry. Right. Because anger is natural. I'm like we're going to get angry. We get angry yeah. as parents. We get frustrated as parents. We shouldn't be asking for per- forgiveness for a very natural thing. What I needed to apologize for was throwing the basket against the ground. That didn't need to happen. That was an unhealthy expression of my anger. That's what I needed forgiveness for. So that's, and he said, yeah, dad, I forgive you. And I said, okay. Again, he didn't offer anything like, hey, will you forgive me for being a basic right. asshole? Like, no, <laughs> like that didn't show, come up yet. So finish your homework. And while we're watching the game, you can go ahead and take care of your laundry. And that's, and I just walked away. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm down do, making dinner. He gets his homework done. He goes up, takes care of all of his laundry, comes down to me and is like, daddy, I'm sorry. I had a bad attitude. I shouldn't have done that. And we made up and we ended up having a beautiful rest of our evening. I guess the reason I tell that story is like when I think about our children looking at us, think about my daughter looking at me as this as idea of what it means to be a man. I want her to see not a perfect man. I want her to see a guy that's trying to figure out what it means to be a man that's on the journey, that's always doing it, but is doing it with love and compassion and kindness and is have too much of an ego that I can't to ask for forgiveness for my children because that's what I would expect for her to find in her partner. Yeah. That's what I would want for her with her person of whoever she decides to do her life with, whatever way that manifests for her, that she is cared for and that she knows that she will never find a perfect human being, but she will find someone that she knows what it means to be treated right. And that to me is one of the most important tools I could give my children. Man, that's a, I love, I love the authenticity of the story. And I love the fact that, you know, it's a realistic approach to what is possible. It seems that sometimes as parents, I know myself, we get caught up in wanting to be this ideal parent and there's no such Mm -hmm. thing as an ideal parent, man. We are, dude, it's a mess. It's a mess. And for anybody who's thinking about having kids, there's no perfect time and you're going to mess up, but it's all learning and you're learning just as much as the kids do Mm -hmm. and sometimes more. And it's really frustrating to see yourself and your attitude and your crappy attitude and all the little things that you do shown back to you, like in this oh, mirror God. image. And you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, I do that. She don't have for me. I really right? got to stop that, you know? <laughs> right. I'm like, son, like this thing that you're doing, like, I get it. Like, I get it. And I understand it. I understand, like, because really at the end of the day, as parents, and again, as fathers, as we father our children, we are um, we're instilling the confidence in our children that they can do what they what they what right. they want at the end of the day. I really believe that that is one of the best, uh, the most important gifts that we give our children. Uh, we sell them on the idea of who they are is really the best way that I think it kind of comes down to. So it's like we sell it to them by being like, yeah, like you can do that. Yeah, pursue that. Yeah, go in this general direction. Yeah, let me introduce. Like we sell them on their interests and whatever. And you can see sometimes where that gets messed up with kids because what they get sold on is the dream that their parent holds Mm. and not what their actual dream is. Right. And that's like a manipulative sell, right? Like that's something that you could like, and that kind of fucks you up because then you end up living out your parents' dream. And I've talked to some dudes and you see this a lot, I think a lot in athletics where a lot of guys are going so hard because they're living their father's dream. 
because their father had a love for this thing, a love for the game, a love of whatever it is. And so they want that for their son. And then they want their son to go further than they did. And if their son experienced failure or they don't get that, or even if they do get that success, they kind of realize it was never their dream. It was always their father's dream. And I've seen that theme come up with a lot of men that I've been in conversation with. And so kind of this idea, like, what do we sell our children on, right? Like, what do we, what do we give them as like their yes? And what my hope is that I sell my children on their true selves because I see it better than anyone else, right? I know them better than that. So I can sell them on the idea of like, be you, continue to pursue that, be you, be confident in who you are. And that when we can give that gift to them, they will flourish because they have like this understanding that dad has my back. Like I got this. And that's to me, I think one of the most beautiful places that our children can be and a healthy place for them to, to sit is that confidence that, yeah, dad's got my back. Yeah. That's an important part. You know, it, I've often heard that mother is the word for God on the lips of a child, but I think you could equally say that protection Dad is the word for protection on the lips of a child, you know, and I, when, when you're explaining about that process of the, I'll speak to men because I'm a, I'm a man and I lived through that experience where you live the unrealized dreams of your father. For mm -hmm. me, it was in wrestling. For me, it was, you're going to go do this thing. I know you hate it, but you're going to do it. You can become mm -hmm. the best at it because I was good at it and it teaches you respect and discipline. And now you're going to do it. Damn it. Yep. And, you know, in a weird way that speaks to generational trauma. Because some people might not see that as trauma, but when you are forced to live out the life and a dream of something that doesn't belong to you, that becomes a pattern in your life. And as a parent, you begin to develop. And if you're not conscious of your patterns, you pass those patterns on to your kids. Mm -hmm. And I bring this up because it's something that I've learned in psychedelics. You know, I have learned, I can't tell you, like since I've been, I can't tell you how much this has happened to me. And the thing that's happened to me is once I began reestablishing my connection to psychedelics, I began finding this pattern of the pep talks or the, the long talks I've had with my daughter seem to be pertaining to me as much to her. Mm. You know what I mean? I feel like yeah. I'll be in the middle of this topic about like, listen, you got to face problems in life head on. Otherwise they tend to get you. And I'll just pause for a minute and be like, Jesus Christ, my, I should be talking to myself right here. You know what I mean? Have you ever totally. found that happen? What do you think about generational trauma and the introduction of psychedelics to see that pattern and how they get passed on to your kid? Oh, a hundred percent. I think so much of that work is when, when I heal, when I heal myself and I think in so many ways, you know, psychedelics are, is that, uh, sometimes that openness to do the work to heal. Right. Um, and so in the healing that I've done around my, my issues with my dad and the work that I had to do, cause we all hold a father wound. I yeah. will wound my children. That is just the reality because the the to me it is, is again is that principle that nothing is going to be perfect so if it's not going to be perfect i know i'm going to wound them and it's actually their gift because wherever their wounding is is their opportunity to heal and that's how we heal this generational trauma the thing that gets passed down the idea to think that at some point there isn't uh something to be healed means that all of a sudden we'd be in the utopia and there would be no suffering. And we haven't ever seen that, at least in our recorded history of humanity, of what we understand. We've, we've never had this like perfect utopia. There's always been suffering. It's part, of, it's part of life. And that's actually part of the gift is not protecting my children from suffering, 
but giving them the tools to how to see the joy as well. And that to me is what's important about. So the only way I can do that is if I'm healed, I've healed my stuff and then realize, oh, well, this I'm not going to pass on. So for example, like one of the things that's been really key with my kids is just how open I am in my conversations with them. I didn't get that. My dad felt closed off to me in some ways. He wasn't, you know, maybe as emotionally available to me in some ways that maybe I would have longed for as a kid. And so I'm like, oh, well, that I can, I can be a present for. That I know I can provide for my children. I can, I can do that for them. I can show up. But they're also growing up in a divorced home. So I'm sure there's trauma and there's like stuff that they're going to have to deal with because I hadn't done some of that healing. And I did, I did cause damage and I did cause hurt. And yet I worked through it. I healed. And now they're getting the best version of me, but they're still going to have to deal with that. And I know that. And I'm not even, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not trying to hide it. I'm like, yep, you're going to have to look at that someday. (laughs) Like (laughs) you're going to need a good therapist to help you work through that because that's just the reality. Like, why not just like call it what it is? Like, I'm not a perfect person. And I'm not a perfect father, but I love deeply. And and the one of the things that I found in my one of my psychedelic journeys was, again, this idea of our sovereignty and our choice as fathering. Like we hold so much beautiful power with our choice. And when we take that back and we really own our choice, we then start to show up differently. And one of those choices is fathering. And that my hope is that every dad listening understands that they're their uh, role as father is first and foremost a choice that at the end of the day, you don't have to do it. You could walk away. And I think that's the thing. Every guy has to look at himself in the mirror and own that I'm making the choice to show up as father. This is not something that I'm it's forced on because if it's forced on me, then I'm resentful about it. And if I'm resentful, I'm not showing up in, in the way. The only way you can fully show up is by owning your choice to father your children. And once you own that, stuff starts to just, that's where the healing happens. That's where you're starting to show up in a different way. Your kids are going to connect to that. But every every guy needs to look at himself that's a father and ask himself, is like, understand the choice that they have. They can walk away. That's the choice we all hold. We could do, we could all do it. Yeah. It's a great point. You know, it uh it makes me think about. If, if we just stay in this vein of, of making a choice and mistakes and fatherhood, something that really has helped me out in the last few years is this idea that if you as a father, if you don't pick up the most difficult problem and try to solve it, then your kid has to. And for me, that means like the generational problems of, mm. you know, I came from a divorced home and, you know, I got to see a broken relationship. And so that was imprinted upon me. Mm. And for me, I was like, okay, you know, I saw my dad who I love to death, but he has destroyed almost every relationship with a woman that he's ever been in, including my, my sister, my mom. Mm. And, and when I look back, you know, at first I get angry, but then I look back at my grandpa and I'm like, dude, he did the same thing. Yeah. And then probably his dad. And so it kind of takes away that anger when you pan back and get that thousand foot view and you go, oh, this is a pattern. Oh, mm. shit. I see it in me. Mm. And then you think to yourself, okay, I see the pattern, which is identifying the problem, which is the first step. Mm. The second step is making a choice to do something about it. Okay. I see the pattern. 
Yep. What am I going to do about it? Then you make that choice to do something. And then that third step is taking action to actually begin it. And mm-hmm. then you form this new pattern of doing it. But I, I would I would like to invite everybody, every man that's listening to this to understand you have to take on the stuff that's scary because yeah. if you don't, then you force your kids to do it. And whether that's coming to grips with a mistake that you've made, whether that's coming to grips with a problem that you have, be it addiction or you know, maybe it's porn or maybe it's being divorced or maybe it's being abusive in some way, emotionally or verbally. Yeah, those things all suck. But guess what? You have a choice to change them today and you can begin changing them today. And if you do that, you you make your kid's life a million times better because you stop them. You stop that pattern right there. Mm. And it's, it's a powerful thing to think about. What, what what's your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's it, it's such a, a beautiful picture because a choice was made that brought in the generational trauma. Yep. Somewhere someone decided that that was their choice, right? That they were going to be the alcoholic or that they were going to be the abuser or that whatever. And again, yes, some of those things get passed down, but I really believe at some point someone made that choice. And I think that's where we see these cycles of like great seasons of fathers and you can see how it gets passed down. And then at some point, someone makes the choice that then that choice gets passed down. And so what we have to realize is the power that we hold to heal. And it's almost like if we really look, and this gets real far out there psychedelic wise, but if we can like play with the idea that the time, time doesn't exist and all things are happening at all times, all choices are being made at all times, then what's happening is that choice is getting passed on to me and I have full sovereignty to make a different choice. And when I make that different choice, I actually heal the trauma going back to when that choice, I fix their wrong. That's the karma, right? I'm making right what they did wrong. And that's our invitation. That's the that's the work that we're doing is like, oh, wow, this pattern has been alive in my life because it was passed on and my dad didn't make the choice. But you know what? My dad made a lot of choices that didn't pass on certain traumas that he received. So what a gift but he wasn't perfect. So in the same way, like he only knew the choices he could make that he didn't want to pass on and what was present for him. So did, but was a lot of things maybe repressed and not present? Sure. So did that get passed on to me? Absolutely. Did I do that work and I'm getting better? Yes. Am I making different choices at an earlier age? Like where my dad was at at 38 compared to where I'm at? Completely different. And yet I see where my dad's at at 68 and now we're kind of making similar choices, right? He's now kind of thinking about stuff in some unique ways. I'm just 30 years ahead of him. And so my hope is that my son is 30 years ahead of me, that at 12, he's making new choices. He's doing things differently. That's the karmic cycle. That's the thing that we're, we're doing in life and how we can heal traumas. And now are there certain things that my son's going to have to figure out and choices that he's going to have to make? Absolutely. Because that's life. We have to make choices. We can't ever do that for our children. Like I came out of the, the church in the evangelical Christian world. And, and as, a, as a pastor, one of the most like damaging things I saw uh, that I think the church really does is this perception that we have to protect our children. And again, we've been talking a lot about protecting, right? right. This protecting energy. And, and there, it's, a, it's a, again, a bit of a paradox here that we have to handle because do I want protection for my children? Of course. Am I going to protect my children? Of course. Do I want my children to have to experience suffering? Yeah, I do. I, w- I want them to, they have to go through that. They're going, I can't protect them from it. Um, I, I've got to give them the tools. 
I got to be there in loving support. I'm going to be able to hold space, but I cannot protect them from suffering. And I think a lot of parents put themselves in a pretty like no win situation where they feel like they're failing because they, they put in their minds that they have to protect their children from suffering. And that's just not, that's just not it. Like it just doesn't like our kids are going to suffer. Their, their suffering could happen through a bully at school that I have no control over. The suffering could happen from falling down and skinning their knee. Like they're going to get hurt. And so my job is to one, hold space for them. So when they are hurt, that they know that they can heal those pains. So that, cause that's, again, that's what we do as humans. We heal. It's a beautiful thing. Our bodies heal itself. We have all the tools we need to heal. We just need to learn how to use them. So that's what I, my hope is in giving my children the tools is to help work with the suffering because I can't protect them. Yeah. Well, so let, let, if we can dive a little bit deeper on that, when you give your children the tools to help with suffering, is one of those tools explaining to them that there's a lesson in suffering or? Yeah. yeah. So we do, we do church with the kids. Um, cause somewhere in me is still a pastor. Um, sure. even though it may not be like in the, the Christian tradition. <laughs> Uh, so I like doing church with the kids and we talk about, uh, I have seven secrets of the universe that I'm teaching my children. So seven secrets that to me are like the most important things about who we are, our spirituality, and are the lessons that I want them to learn. And one of those lessons is all of life is great suffering and great joy. And so to, to share this lesson, we were, we had a, um, we have an ice bath out, a cold plunge in the backyard. And this was back in, I don't know, maybe February, March. It was a sunny day, but it was cold outside. And so we went out there and we sat around the ice bath and the kids, like, they just put their hands in and saw who could do it the longest, who could sit with the suffering, who could sit with the pain and experience it and be present with the pain and work through it with their breath and understand that on the other side of that pain, there's something else. And could they find it? And of course, they're kids and they did it for like 30 seconds and then they got cold and whatever. And again, it's this ongoing lesson. But then this is where I know it's working. We were watching Lord of the Rings and Gandalf is giving this like uh, lesson to Frodo before he goes down to the bite the Balrog and disappears. And he talks to the lesson with Frodo like, you got to do this stuff, man. Like you're the only one that can carry the ring. You're going to suffer. No one else can do this for you. And my son pauses it and he goes, dad, you sound a lot like Gandalf. And I was like, game <laughs> over. Like I win. I win. Ring the bell, man. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you're right, son. What's up? But again, <laughs> it's just like, that's the stuff, right? That means they're getting the tools. They're understanding. They're drawing. They're making the correlations to where they can learn these lessons that, yeah, life is suffering. So now, you know, they get in the cold bath or something happens or whatever. They now have the language to talk about what it is that's going on. And that's sometimes the tool itself, right? It's just the language. Because right. if we have the language, then we know how to process it. We know how to work with it. And we can learn what we need to do. So to me, that's a lot of times the tools. You know, other things that we talk about, you know, breath work, we breathe with the kids. I have them be able to center. We talk about grounding elements and, you know, things that they can do when, when they are feeling those things, they are feeling the suffering. And it's, uh, it's, it's never like, uh, it's never done. Like I will be teaching them these lessons right. for the rest of their lives in some way. Right. Yeah. It's their job to learn it. And you know, that's kind of the great experiment. Yeah, it is. It's a great experiment. It's a, it's a gift on both sides. It's, it's, it's almost indescribable to think about the, the, 
way in which we're tested and how fortunate we are to be tested. And there's a test inside a test. You know, I one test that I that I want to get your opinion on is if we look back at mythology or scripture, there's often this sort of archetype. And I think it I know it happened in my life. It probably happened in your life. And it seems sounds like it's already happened in your son's life. And it's this idea of the father or the son having to fight the father. You know, if you look at the prodigal son where he leaves, or if you look at like the Greek mythologies, like Zeus's sons coming back to get rid of him and kill him. And in some ways, like I, I see, I know that I had to be in a fight with my father, you know, and I had to beat him on some levels and it felt good to beat him on some mm -hmm. levels. And he fought valiantly. And I'm sure that he was happy when I beat him on some levels yeah. and on some levels, I may never beat him on, but mm. what do you think about this idea of the son having to fight and win against his father. Oh, a hundred percent. I love it. I like, and I actively engage this with my boy. My boys love to wrestle me. They love it when I'm like, let's throw down and like wrestle because they can test their strength right. against me. Cause they like, they can hurt me. My, my 12 year old dude's strong. Like I get a kick in the <laughs> face from him and I like that hurts. Yeah. But when we wrestle, we set boundaries. We set some right. container, right? Because without it, then that energy can get real feminine real fast, right? I'm yeah. angry and I'm fighting and like, it's rage. No, let's teach like, let's teach it from like the container. So we set the rules. We set the ground rules. And then I always joke with them like, you cannot beat me. Like yeah. you try, try yeah. to beat me. And so, and then both boys will gang up on me. And like, I don't hold back. I mean, like, of course I'm not hurting them, but like right. I get, I let them feel my strength. I let them feel my weight. I let them feel what is it like to push against and like struggle and fight against something that's bigger than you. And, and I let them, and I tell them, test your strength against me. I can handle it. I'm stronger than you, at least right now. Someday I may not be, but I'm yeah. stronger than you now. So I believe that, yeah, as the father, like we have to let the, let, let our children fight against us. We have to let them become themselves and they become themselves through the fight. And so like, like, but my son, my oldest, he loves to run and he's like really freaking good at running. And so we did uh, a 3k or no, sorry, we did a 5k um, over Thanksgiving. And I kind of was like, whatever, like, I'm not going to train for this. I'll just gut it out. I can run a 5k. Like I'm pretty, <laughs> like I'm in shape. I'm working out, whatever. Right. But my son just got done running cross country. He's like, he's pretty on it. He's running like two or three miles on his own, like getting up early and I'm not doing any training. The dude beat me by three minutes on the race day. Like he just kicked my ass. Like he was, and I told him, I was like, son, you run your race. Like you run what you need to run. Do not worry about me. Go. He beat me that day. And I, I honored him. I was like, way to go, dude. Like you beat me. You're so much faster. Like I'm dying here and you just own that. I am so proud of you. Like, good job, man. Like, good job. But then the other day we were riding our bikes and like biking is my thing. And I <laughs> killed him, man. We got on this hill and I just freaking let loose. And I was like, I will wait for you at the top, son. Remember who is still king on this situation, <laughs> right? Yeah. But that's the game. Like we play this game with our children. And I genuinely believe like in mythology. And one of the great myths that I love around the masculine is a story from Brothers Grimm called mm. Iron John. Um, and it was uh, Robert Bly actually wrote a book called Iron John. Um, looking at this myth, uh, and in the myth, the beginning of the myth, at least, is this uh, this story about this kind of wild man that works his way into a kingdom. You have to go read it to see the details, but he's in a cage, 
And in, in the kingdom, he's caged up and, and the king's son sees something in him, but he doesn't interact with him. Um, and one day he's playing in the courtyard and he loses his ball and it rolls up to the uh, wild man covered in mud and just like crazy kind of giant-esque. And he grabs the ball and he says, you have to go get the key from your mother if you want your ball back. And the boy, like, he's like, let me out and I'll get you the ball. And the boy waits. And in the book, it's like three days. But I think in our lives, we can think about this concept that the thing that holds the golden ball, the thing that you want, the thing that kind of defines who you are, this wild man is holding it within each of us. And to unlock it, we have to go steal the key from our mother. And the key was hidden underneath the mother's pillow, the queen. Mm. And so the boy sneaks into the room, steals the key, lets out the, uh, the wild man. The wild man grabs him up and carries them off onto their journey where this boy becomes a man. And I think it speaks to this thing that like every man has to steal the key from their mother and they have to leave their father. You got to walk away. And I think as parents, we got to encourage that stuff. Like it's the, it's the father's problem when it becomes like, oh, son, you can't be. And they think their entire lives, they got to be like the shit for their kids. Like, no, I am training my children to no longer like, need me, but they will always need, it's that paradox again, right? It's a both and, but like, I want them to be fully, like, I want them to fight me. I want them to leave me. I want them to go figure out who they are because otherwise, what are we doing? Right? Like I'm just coddling them for their entire (laughs) lives. And then like, and I think we've seen that in society. And I think a lot of our ailments of, of what was going on in our world is this kind of weird thing that's been going on where parents are fighting their kids. Like, battles, right? They're not letting their children grow up. So anyways, that's a bit of a rant on what you were saying, but yeah, I think the fight is crucial. And I think every person must fight their parents and everyone, again, you want to talk about the scriptures. It talks about the idea of the concept that every man must leave his father and mother. And that's the idea of marriage, right? Not uh, our understanding of marriage can be so weird, but one of the concepts of marriage that I think is quite beautiful is that it is a severing. It is saying, I am now my own family. I am my own thing. I now have my person that I'm caring for. I am now responsible to them. I am no longer responsible to this. So thank you. But even in the story of the prodigal son, the son comes back to the father. And what does the father have? Open arms for him, love and gratitude. And yet it was the oldest son who was around the whole time that got pissed off at the dad at the end of the story. And we don't always think about both sto- both boys in that story, but there's a lesson in each of them and how they handled what that parable was telling us. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could talk about the the other son, like for people who may not know. Yeah, people who heard about the prodigal son. Maybe you could talk about the, the the lessons in the other son. Well, so like again, the the general premise of the prodigal son is you know, kid goes to his father, wealthy situation, basically says, "Dad, I want my inheritance now," which in that time would have basically been like, "Dad, you're dead to me." Um, and so like, he's like, I want it all. And so the father basically said, okay, if this is what you want, I'll give it to you. And so the, this younger son gets his inheritance from the father and he goes off and he squanders it. And in a matter of time, and the next thing, you know, he's literally eating the food with the pigs. And he has this epiphany of like, my father's servants eat better than me. I'm going to humble myself and go back home. And maybe my dad will just take me on as a servant. And so he goes back home and, a, and the father welcomes him back with open arms. 
Well, at that point, we kind of get introduced to the brother, the older brother, who basically is like, what the hell, dad? Like, he basically said, fuck you, you're dead to me, went off and spent all your money. And you're now like the father gives him a ring. That's one of these symbols that's really beautiful in the story. He gives him back his family crest, right? Like you're now back in the fold, son. Even though you said I'm dead to you, I forgive you. The older son couldn't handle that. The older son got mad and is like, why? Like, what about me? And I think this is so applicable. And we see this a lot with older, uh, sorry, uh, firstborn children. A lot of us firstborns. I'm a firstborn. Where do you fall on the line, George? I'm the baby, man. The baby, man. So you're the one that gets to go <laughs> all up. Yep, that's exactly the firstborn, it. Firstborn, it's like there's this thing that we, that we inherit from the father. Like we're the first, and so there's a there's a weight to that, and and so the firstborn doesn't always know how to handle the fact of like grace and 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 acceptance and coming back, and so. The lesson there in the firstborn is like one, like he never like went to go figure out his own stuff. He'd been in the shadow of the father the whole time. And, and so he didn't have any of these lessons or these tools on how to like love his brother and accept him back into the family and welcome him back, even though his brother did a really bonehead thing by saying, you know, you're dead to me. Yeah, it's, you know, Jay, even though it's only been six months since I've last talked to you, I feel like. I've learned so much in our talks, man. And I, I, I can, mm. I want everyone to go and check out what you got going on because I can see the lessons you're teaching to people in the worlds of masculinity, in the worlds of family, in the worlds of relationship. And it's a world of difference, man. I, mm. I'm so stoked to get to see the beginning process and to see how far and how awesome it is right now. Maybe I know we're kind of coming up on a little bit of time, but I think you've kind of built a really good foundation about mm. what it is, the people you're inviting to come and study with you. Maybe yeah. you could talk about some of the latest transformations and some of the latest projects that you have begun doing with these people and how mm. they've, they've moved since you've started it. Yeah. So one of the new things that I've kind of launched um, and, and we'll be kind of starting in this next month is really leaning into this idea of like talking through the rooted rebellion is what I'm calling it. And um, because I think part of this fight and part of the stuff that you're talking about as well is in men is that we need to get in touch with our rebellion um, and, and being rebellious and fighting against something. I think more men need to lean into the rebellion. But the problem is when we think about rebellion, it can go one of two ways. If it's unrooted, then it gets angry, it gets destructive, it gets mean, it's aggressive in the worst ways possible. And we've seen that. And I think a lot of times you look at like rebellious teenagers, and especially men that like rebel early in their, their life against their situation, it's basically guys that don't have enough guts to like go take the key from their mom. So they like do it in a weird way and they like rebel and all this stuff. And the invitation that I, I want to invite more men into is their rooted rebellion. And being able to really ground down and the first, like the first place of rebellion is being, is knowing where you say you're fuck you at the end of the day. And, and like, really like, like, like you're no, like no more, like no. And actually that no is one of the most masculine things that we can do. We talk a lot about, especially in the psychedelic space. And I see this a lot in like the, the especially the feminine energy of like your fuck yes, right? And I was in, I was thinking through this a lot. Like, what's your fuck yes, right? Like, ah, get touched with your fuck <laughs> yes. That's awesome. But what I realized is that for a lot of men, they first, and this was me, I actually had to say no. My first like fuck you was to no longer wanting to be married 
and choosing something for me where I said, no, like, I don't want this. And I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose me in this situation. That was really fucking hard, but it was a rebellious yeah. act, right? Yep. Yep. More men, like we need to tap into that. No. And we all know it. Like we know, like where we're kind of like, we, we know our no, but then we kind of get lazy about it or we get resentful about it or we don't show up. And, and that kind of really manifests again in like some more like you're rebelling against your life because you can't say no. So you get like sucked into like always having to watch the game or you spend your time on fantasy football or you're gaming. You're like, you're just, and again, intrinsically, none of those things are bad, but it's when you're like literally rebelling against your life because you can't say no. You can't say something like, Hey woman, no more. This is, this can't happen anymore. Children, no more. This is no, like there is a boundary and I'm holding it or something in their own lives, their own bodies, right? Being able to be like, like this situation. Yeah, no, I'm doing something about it. I'm fucking going to the gym. Yeah, I'm waking up. Yeah. I'm taking like no more. And on the other end of every no is the yes. And that's where the transformation lies. Because when we can say no to something, we clear it out of our lives and we get rid of it. And, and we're able to purge. And again, that's the beauty of like medicine work and purging and why it's so important is because you're energetically and sometimes physically clearing space so something new can come in. And you cannot find your fuck yes until you know your fuck no. So that's how transformation happens. That's the lesson that I've been learning and inviting men into. And I've been watching it happen before my eyes where it's inviting people to like, where is your no? And that's so much like coaching work and, and what I'm leaning into is like helping people find and giving them permission to say it because damn, it's hard. Like I was with the guy and I like he was I knew I knew his no. And and we were we were doing some medicine work together and we were in the journey and he like admitted something and I saw it. And then I was like, say it. And he couldn't. He couldn't articulate it. And it was like. Again, it was so empowering to that masculine to be like fucking calling it out and be like, look at me in the eyes and I want you to say it. I'm giving you permission to say the thing you never thought you could verbalize. Fucking say it. And came out just <laughs> beautiful, man. Like watch them transfer, like just the power of saying your no. And then once you get that out, whew, we're clear, right? Like we, we have space now that there's space. Okay. What are we going to work with here? How are we going to find that? Like, how are you going to lean into what is your yes? But men, I think women will are far more in tune to like knowing what their fuck yes is going to be. And they need to lean into that. That's the feminine energy of like this, this thing is like, yeah, go after your yes. You know it, you know, you're, you're far more in tune with your body. Your womb knows it. Your pussy knows it. Like, yes, your yes, go after it. Men, we got to know our no first. We got to rebel. We got to, we got to like kind of put that up. We got to ground ourselves into that masculine energy of the earth. And when we do that, we can rise out of it and then really step into that power. Man, Jay. How, how does that I'm, land? Dude, I'm, I got to sign teaching. up for a class, bro. I got to come and sign up for a class over there, man. Like, I love it, man. I, I really admire the method. And one of the things people may not know is that your classes, what you're teaching comes from lived experience. Like you're creating this process as it unfolds. And I think that that is real teaching that comes from the heart that comes from lived experience that comes from real tragedy. 
And I think that that's what a real teacher is, is, you know, it's not going and sitting in a room where you learn from a book that was written by a guy who had a friend that knew someone that did something. It's sitting down and talking to someone and then having your own experience with someone that can amplify it. You know, and I, mm. I think that's what you're doing, man. It's fucking beautiful. I love it. And I'm, I'm stoked to hear about the transformations. I'm stoked to see someone building something for men, mm. you know, by men. I think it's awesome, man. And, and the way I've been talking about that, and I think what is so key for anyone that's looking for coaching or looking to do work with someone is um, you better ask them for their receipts. Show me how you pay, like, because you you're you're right, George. Like, I got receipts on everything I'm talking about. I know this is my lived experience, is my life, man. I got the receipts, and there's a difference in someone, and I feel it in my life. Like, I'm working with a coach right now to do my own work in my own body, like a health movement coach. It's been really cool, but like the reason why I knew I wanted to work with him is he had the fucking receipts. It wasn't like he had read some book or gone through some nutrition right. thing. Like he told me his story and I'm like, oh man, like you, you got the receipts. And I think too many people follow like a guru or a coach or someone that they had training, they learned it, but they don't have the receipts. And the thing is, is we all have receipts for what we've paid for. Those are our mm -hmm. life experiences. And that's what we got to first learn how to own. Like your power is in those receipts. And so when you start showing up to your life and you start calling things out and you start like telling your partner, no, you start showing up for your children this way. The only way that stuff works is if you've got the receipts to prove it. Like when I set structure for my children, the only way that they're going to believe it is if I have the structure in my life. They see me getting up at 545 to go to the gym. They see me in the cold plunge doing the work. They see me showing up and doing the dishes. Like that's the receipts of what I'm teaching them. Otherwise, all I'm teaching them is ethereal and it's not grounded. And so that to me is the, one of the most important things. So for anyone that's like, and this, this is also like in the medicine space where I feel like you're saying kind of feeling more unique. Like for me, like I have zero desire to like go after like any more certifications or any more, uh, of, I mean, I'm a lifelong learner. So I don't, there's, sure. the, there's no one there to be ego. Yeah. Like I'm not, I don't need to learn anything else but I also have the receipts on my method and the work that I've been doing of taking men deeper and giving them bigger dosages and, you know, the, the kind of non-traditional therapeutic stuff. Like if someone and a lot of people, I hope people hear this. A lot of people do need therapy. They do need to, and psychedelics can be beautiful in the assistance of their therapy, but psychedelics is so much more. And one of my biggest fears is the trauma to like the traumadelics kind of movement. I don't know if you've heard that term kind of thrown out time, there. Man. But this, this idea that like trauma delics, like, again, like we're, we're seeing so much conversation around psychedelics around healing trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression. And yes, like, of course, but for me, like there is so much deeper, uh, a place of healing. You, if we want to call it soul, like really connecting to the, the, the grounded thing. And I think sometimes these, these therapeutic methodologies are, are not allowing people to go to that place. They're not allowing to heal in relationship, which I think is crucial. Um, they're maybe, you know, putting on the eye masks and they're just going within and they're not connecting visually with their person as the guy that's in the room with them. And they're just going in their own head and, and maybe they're doing some talk therapy, but 
for me, like it's relational. It, it's healing. It's there. I'm, we, we are connected. We are making eye contact. I am in this thing with you. Like we're healing through relationship, not just healing yourself. Like, can we do that? Maybe. I really believe in the more shamanistic traditions that we heal with relationships. We heal with that person and that connection and we heal through bigger dosages. Uh, that when we go past that threshold of five, six grams, and, and we go into those deeper waters, again, with the proper space set and setting and people having work, you know, I don't think that's the right thing to do right off the bat. I think people need to ease themselves in there. Got to say all that stuff. But, right. but I have taken guys that haven't had any medicine experience into like the just right off the bat doing a five gram journey and watching them transform before my eyes, watching them go through the healing. And then at lasting the client meeting I was just in before I jumped on was one of my first guys that I went through, um, that I took a journey with and, and guided. And um, you're asking about the proof, right? The transformation. Yeah. This guy yeah. just went through one of the most um, extreme things of, of watching a suicide happen before him. And like it, it, it like a week ago. And he was just sitting with me processing it. And I was able to just encourage him of like, brother, you are in the healthiest place you've ever been. You can do this. You can walk through this because of all the work that you've done. You're showing up in this beautiful way and it is incredible and it's courageous, but I am confident that you can walk through this storm. And because of everything that he had done and the work we had, we had done, he just broke down. He's like, you're absolutely right. He's like, I have all the tools I need. I can do this. And that's this thing. So like the, my, maybe the, the last story I'll share as we kind of wrap up, but one of the themes of this rooted rebellion that I found in nature that's so beautiful is, have you ever heard what Buffalo do with a storm? No. So, so fascinating. Yeah. So when, when the herd, a Buffalo herd senses a storm coming, they go on the move. And they actually run into the storm. Cattle, they don't. Cattle have been so domesticated over time that when the storm comes, they run away from the storm or they hunker down and just sit. Therefore, when a storm comes in, you watch a lot of cattle get taken out because either it's like a bad storm. You think about being on the plains, all that snow, they get buried down, they get cold, they freeze to death. Or they run away from the storm, which only prolongs it because you're never going to outrun the storm. The buffalo knows because they're free, because they're not domesticated. They know that in their freedom, their choice is to run through it. Yeah. And that at the end of the day is what all of us hold. Storms come. Again, we've been talking about this theme of suffering and whatever. And that we got to be like buffalo and not cattle. And we got to run into that storm. But we can only do that when we realize we're free to run into the storm, that we're not been domesticated like the cattle. And far too many people are way too domesticated these days uh, at, that when the storms hit, they don't know what to do. And we got to follow that beauty of the buffalo and run in it and run through it and survive it. And they know they don't get taken. The herds don't get taken out by the storms because they know exactly how to handle them. Yeah, it seems to me like part of the part of the awakening is for a few of the buffalo to go and rewild the rest of us you know and Absolutely. it just takes it just takes a few people to show them the way the same way it takes a mentor to show someone they have the tools and i think that's what you're doing jason i, I really 
admire the conversation today. I really admire what you're doing in it. When I do look at the different types of branches on the psychedelic tree, this is the first time I'm noticing this branch that's moving towards the world of masculinity, man. And I mm. want to say thanks for that. It's awesome. Mm. And I, I really enjoy it. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. I know you've already helped a lot of people. And I love the fact that you have the receipts, man. I, 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 I love the fact that you welcome people to come and challenge you. And yeah. whether it's your son or whether it's someone coming to you for, for help, you're like, what up? What? What you want? You know? <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it, man. Mm. So I know you got, I know you're coming up on time, but maybe you can share with people uh, where people can find you, what you got coming up and what you're excited about. Yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to announce I've transitioned my website over to the rooted rebellion. I am rebranding. We're moving in that direction. Although experience integration, it's all the same. People will still find that. Uh, I'm working on the website right now. It is still live. If people want to stay in touch with what I'm doing, I do have a place where they can sign up for a newsletter. So you can drop an email in there. Um, it's pretty bare. But the next thing I'm going to be doing is actually holding space for a circle, probably a virtual circle. It'll be the third Thursday of the of the month. But I'm going to be um, basically opening it up for men that want to start coming in and having a conversation about the rebellion. What are they feeling? Where do they need to rebel? What, where is this alive for them? No intentions of teaching anything. No intention. It's not a webinar. It's a yeah. space. It's a circle to come around. And share if people have had medicine experience is awesome. If you haven't, that don't, that does, that's not it. But it's about letting men that feel sparked by this idea of, I want to know where my fuck no is. I want to hear what that's like. I want to hear how other people are working through that. Um, so that will be starting. Uh, my intention is probably to be doing it at like 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Um, late enough for guys, get kids down right. if you've got a family or whatever. Um, so kind of, you know, for most people, I think that'll be late enough, you know, Pacific people might still be a little bit early, but um, yeah, so that's, that's what I got. Man, it's awesome. It's awesome to see it growing and it's awesome to see the space unfolding. And are you going to be down in Denver this, this June? I am not going to be in Denver for the psychedelic yeah. conference up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm kind of, kind of steering clear of it, man. I, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, like I'm pumped for what's happening in yeah. the space. Right. Um, I think there's a lot of really, really good things. Um, but as here in Colorado Springs and, uh, anyone that's in Colorado, just know like there's psychedelic professional meetup groups that are happening, right. Get involved with them. If you're in this space, there's in Denver, Fort Collins, Boulder, we have one here in Colorado Springs. Um, and I love it. And, and I love all of the ways that the medicine is getting to express itself right now. Yeah. It's happening through therapy. It's happening through these other realms. Um, but for me, I've really felt like for, I kind of have found my lane and it's in yeah. this work and, um, and that's where I'm going to hang out for a little while. Yeah. It's a great spot, man. It's it. I think you're leading the space in a lot of ways, but I've been holding you too long. You only had an hour. I'm you're keeping good. you to an hour and 10, man. I love you, Jay. You're an amazing person. You're hey, helping George. a lot of people. And I'm really looking forward to some of the things that you and I have in the works and, uh, yeah. learning more about the rebellion. So that's all, all we right. got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, hang on one second. I'll talk to you, but ladies and gentlemen, for the listening audience, I love you guys. I hope you're having a beautiful mm-hmm. day. Griggs, I see you over there in the chat, my friend. I love you too, man. Thanks for doing everything that you do. You're an amazing human. And that's all we got for today. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. 
the world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.